1: Today, we are speaking with Paul Rubenstein. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, good afternoon. No, good morning. Wait, I get confused.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, no matter what it is, it's great to have you on the, on the show today. Uh, Paul is the Chief People Officer of Vizier. Um, He will talk to us a lot about people today and talent and the lovely market that we find ourselves in today where people are calling it things like the Great Resignation. And I would say perhaps it's a moment where people are reinventing this world and we're excited to hear Paul's thoughts on that reinvention. But before we get there, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and and
1: your career today. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, am sort of an unusual bird. Uh, I'm a first time chief people officer and somebody who hasn't worked in HR in probably like 20 something years. So I was, I was with a bunch of other people, other heads of HR, um, last two weeks in a row in New York and San Francisco doing these roundtables. And, um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a really strange path. Um, my first job in HR I was like, mm, I don't know if I love this, uh, but what I did, what I really did like. Was and we were. I remember we were having discussions about DNI, and I was like, "Well, and this is like '90s, 1990s DNI." I'm like, "Well, you know, what does the data say? Where do we actually have um, lack of gaps in representation? Is this all about gender and ethnicity, or is there even some deeper sort of problem?" I remember, you know, one of these old school COBOL CICS mainframe systems, and some guy would download it into Lotus One Two Three, and I would show up at my boss's office with this data on a green bar report. And he would look at me and go, Oh, this data is wrong. You're not very good at your job. Maybe you should consider another career. And I was like, no, it's not me. It's the data chain. And I was very lucky to, you know, that was the era as modern HR systems were coming to pass. Um, and I, you know, found that my real skill was having a big vision for how this all flowed together. Um, and what, my my, actually, I think my actual skill was getting people to spend money in advance of their confidence in their own capability to spend it uh, yeah. and execute on uh, technology vision because it was all new in HR.
0: Yeah, and and, 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 and clearly, that, like HR is going through a lot oh of God. changes uh, now, yeah. and I can only imagine what you guys are working on.
1: Yeah, and so it's actually sort of a culmination of some really interesting things. So, like I said, I was able to go out and convince people to spend money on these the first biggest large expense HR ever had. And a lot of this work was called HR transformation, mm-hmm. right? The whole thing was how do you actually have a more effective or efficient HR function and modernize it? This is like when companies were still coming together and globalization was happening and new this all this tech was new. So we'd go out and we would transform the HR function. And I would recommend all this tech and outsourcing and shared services, all this stuff that's commonplace now. But I tell you, at the end of these projects, I don't know if the hr function was actually that much more strategic mm. just putting in some technology and building the capacity to do strategic things doesn't necessarily mean you're going to deliver better insights to the business and what i saw over my career but but for me it was great and consulting that's a you, eureka
0: right. moment right there right but yeah it's, well, it it's, really it's one it's one that i see in almost every area of technology You know, it's, it's incredible because a a lot of the sell on technology is to make it seem like it's insightful, but in reality, you know, technology is only insightful as you allow it to be, you know, as, as the analysis allows it to be and how the actions around that analysis are,
1: right? (laughs) Well, what you, what you find is most people, you know, when they buy their tech, they think the value is created in the delivery of the tech. And, and it's all about like, how many heads do we need? And, you know, whole people's jobs are consumed with creating and delivering the tech, but they forget that this is a means to an end Yeah, the, absolutely. You know, for HR to have cleaner data. Isn't the same as delivering insights that somebody makes a better decision. So anyway, I was in consulting recommending all this tech. I was at a big giant consulting firm. And one day we're like, well, what are we going to do about big data? And like eight years ago, the early days of people analytics, I saw a company that was like, we should invest in them. They had a totally different approach to, um, you know, people analytics. Mm -hmm. It was like, instead of creating teams of people with specialized tools, they were like, everybody should be able to use analytics. It should be, you know, you shouldn't need to go to somebody to change your data warehouse and all this other stuff. Instead of creating value for consulting firms and IT departments, let's create values for end users. They started in HR it was beautiful software. Like, I know it sounds weird. I I fell in love with a piece of software. Anyway, I went on to do some other stuff. That's some
0: good software. Yeah, it's some (laughs) good
1: software, right? Because, you know, when I saw it, to me, it was the first time I, out of all the years of recommending software, it was the first one that elevated the insights that HR could deliver, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than efficiency. To me, it was storytelling. It was pattern recognition. It was, it was the difference between having a good making sure, you know, HR, the way you consume it outside of, uh, as a business person, sometimes you get a good HR person, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be dependent on it. This, this allowed us to raise the floor. I saw this. They got round D, their series D. They said, come work for us. I call my husband up. I'm like, I'm taking a pay cut and I'm going to work at this company. He's like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And um, <laughs> and so I got there. And the first year I was, I worked in value engineering and I was like the, um, and I became sort of obsessed with the moment that somebody sees a new piece of information, do they actually make a better decision? Do they actually change their course of action? Because if you think about management, Mm -hmm. Well, you've had managers, right, man? How much of it is based on intuition, or, you know, the, you know, the hand me down experience, or you know what you know, or inertia, right? You Mm -hmm. know, I have to quickly make a decision. Um, Yeah, I I, mean,
0: there's so many amazing examples of how, um, how companies go through that phase of not having any data, then they have data. And then it's really what you make of that data and and um and in the hr area it's always been you know in early days i remember uh, i was at a large agency uh who had to go through a round of layoffs and the data clearly outlined that there were worse performers than others and yet when it came to the layoffs the CEO made the decision to just lay off, ask every group to lay off 10% of their team. And I was like, that's horrible. Like, that's not how we should have read the data. That's
1: not how, and you know, it's not fair. Yeah. It doesn't get to deeper truth about people. Um, And it's not equitable. And by the way, it leaves value on the table. So how do we turn around? Like, okay, when you go out and drive in Miami, Mm you know, you know how to drive around, but don't you click on Google maps or ways to get the latest traffic? (laughs) Why would you go out and make a people decision with relying only on instinct? Why wouldn't you actually look at the whole data? I mean, there's a whole trove of human um, psychology that, you know, distorts your decision-making, you know, recency bias, um, uh, sunk cost fallacy, all these different human conditions, right? That data connection, and here was the second thing I observed. Like after all these years of um, advising heads of HR, I thought I would never become head of HR. (laughs) But I saw something and I realized that, you know, A, I love the company, B, it was a great time for us to help focus. So I stepped into the role and I've used it sort of as a living laboratory on what good looks like in it being a data-driven HR function. And there's a couple of things I've learned. The first one is like, how do you collapse the distance between a good company strategy and where all the decisions are made? Hmm. Right. So I'm going to use a a really simple one um, timely diversity and inclusion. Okay. Mm -hmm. And by the way, as a first time chief people officer, stepping into the, stepping into that topic, not having a lot of experience is scary, right? Um, You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to do the wrong thing. And so many people have not actually achieved changes in the diversity or culture of their organization. It's littered with, you know, the minefield, sorry, the field is littered with, you you know, um, people at good intent. Um, But I sat and I remember all those presentations. You ever gone to a boardroom discussion on diversity? Somebody gets up and shows a graph that says up and to the right, we're gonna do this for insert population here, women, people of color, you know, um, LGBTQIA+, whatever it is. Yep. They come back a year later. It's like, well, we spent, you know, training money and all this other stuff, but the market didn't work in our favor. There's always excuse because the decisions are actually made by individual hiring managers. Right. Because nobody shares HR data. Nobody turns around and says, how do I connect this bigger arc strategy to small individual decisions? Yeah. Who's good at that? The CFO. Right. Anybody who's worked in a company knows that 12 times a year you're a hero or a goat (laughs) you either look at the PL, you reflect on it and you correct something but you're only going to go so many quarters before you're out if you don't actually respond to that data so i'm sitting there saying how do you get people to look at give have better context for that single decision the next hire is the one that's going to change your arc of female representation is it okay. your responsibility to hire both someone who's both talented and diverse, or are you gonna make another excuse and just hire who's ever in front of you? Yeah. And, and whether, and so by the sharing of data with consistency and explanation and leaving no people to connect their, that single decision to a larger strategy, that's how sales works, individual yeah. sales, coming together for a collective goal. That's how marketing goes, individual campaigns driving whole awareness. So, you know, as chief HR officer, I've been, obsessed with that. And we were actually able to- You know, that's such
0: a, it's such an amazing insight you're making, Paul, because the way I would look at it is that topics like diversity, equity, inclusion, especially if you look at last year at 2020, when we suddenly, suddenly companies uh, woke up to the fact that they had to wrestle down their DEI strategies, they needed to figure this out, right? Was companies were more obsessed with perception than they were with strategy business strategy. There wasn't a strategy of diversity. There was, oh, well, we might be perceived as not being diverse and that will be bad for us. And that was the mistake. And so I think what you're saying, which is you have to fundamentally align the commercial strategy and connect it in with this idea of diversity
1: to make it systemic, right? And and to fix it you yeah. have to believe that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And you know, like like we've been arguing for years, many years over, um, uh, you know, the, the business case for diversity has always been there. I think we're past that point where it's just like, the people who get it, it's just the right thing to do as human beings, right? Okay? But when you think of coming out of um, the awful time, uh, you know, uh, which you know is, a, is the worst way to raise social consciousness is to go through a tragedy like, you know, uh, the horrible things that happened to George Floyd, right? Yeah. Think of all the pledges and statements that were made by companies during that time. Oh, Imagine yeah. if somebody kept a record of those and goes back a year now and says, "Hey, you know, it's just like you made a forecast to Wall Street." you're now, you know, we're going to hold you accountable for that. Yeah. Pledges and statements are nice, but I believe that data and accountability, sorry, I believe that data is actually going to light the path to accountability and change.
0: I love it. I love that idea. And I, I think you're spot on on that. So, I mean, DEI has certainly been one of the big areas that has uh, been a focal point for HR. But I mean, you're you're right at the pulse of all of this stuff. And clearly with Vizier, you have access to treasure troves of data. Tell us more about this changing world of work in some of these other okay. areas that are that are popping.
1: I love it. So, you know, we're watching it like, you know, Great Resignation. How many articles have been written in? I'm not sure if you know what came first um, the great resignation or the articles about great resignation, causing more people to resign. Sometimes I wonder, and then I also wonder, um, you know, it's also a great time to hire. We're growing our company. Yeah. We're losing people just like everyone else, but people are sitting there saying, well, why do I work where I work? Right. What is the, you know, do I understand my company? Is there something better? Where do I find meaning? Right, you know the weirdest thing uh, that um, I I went to a benchmarking um, session on great resignation, and uh, the most interesting discussion was about boomerangs. People who just said, you know, the grass might be greener, and they were back in ninety days. We've had that too happen in our company, which is you know both affirming and scary at the same time. Oh, but let's go back for a second because there's a there's an interesting lesson in here that that when we think about that diversity, like the motion of hey everyone connect your individual decision and make it data focused, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, your experience focused, great resignation. I will tell you as head of HR, whoever, if you were a hiring manager, whoever, the last person resigned, you would come into my office and say, this is the trend. doesn't matter, you know, whether you have the full picture, it's, you know, a lot of people will just put their own experience and call it the trend. Right. And what I realized is once again, people need deeper insights so that they're spending time. um, I'll give you an example. You ever been to a call center?
0: Oh, I used to be the CEO of a company that owned thousands of call centers. (laughs) Okay.
1: So follow me on this, right? How hard is it to be a call center manager? Maybe you got 25 people reporting to you. Mm -hmm. It's busy all day. It's intense. It's intense. And so somebody comes into your office and they're like, I need your attention. I need your attention. Mm -hmm. And so you often hear noise and you're like, that person is coming to my office, complaining a lot about things. And maybe they're the person who's going to leave next, Mm. but how do you actually understand noise versus signal? Correct. People analytics is about cutting through that noise and helping everyone understand the signal. So when I looked at resignation, yeah, like other companies, our resignations were up. Our turnover was up. But when I teased apart the data, it was actually only two groups, two career levels that were truly, um, you know, what I call, you know, extraordinary in their, in the change in their, um, and they were driving more than almost 60% of our turnover, just two career levels. Mm. And so helping people say, oh, you know, what is signal? What is noise? Here's the signal. What should you do about it? Yeah. And then be able to take it all the way down to just like you do in marketing. You know how you're able to identify based on the way people click through things or their actions or their last interaction, their propensity to buy? Yeah, Machine learning and common sense analysis of data, forget it, you know even beyond just machine learning, can point people managers in the right direction to say, these are the people that are truly highest risk of exit. They may be introverts. They may be quiet. So yeah, I, I think yeah. it's,
0: you know, it's a really interesting point. I like the idea of understanding the, the signals. It's It's been fascinating to see the press on the topic of the great resignation. And, you know, all of us, when we sit down with friends and family, we see people that are shifting or changing their, their lives, or in some cases, feel forced to. And those are the people that I'm I sometimes feel get misrepresented. You know, I, I was out with a group of uh, friends here in Miami who were all New Yorkers. Uh, they had been working remotely. They had been working remotely successfully uh, for companies that had had their best years ever. And yet all of their management had was now forcing them to return to New York to, to go back into the office. And a good, 50% of those people, you know, there was, were basically saying, I'm not going back. And and important? and it, it, it yeah. wasn't that and, and they were sad. They wasn't that they were making it out of joy. They were saying, I'm not going back because I, I don't, it makes no sense. You know, I've had my best year ever for the company. I'm doing my best work I've ever done. And I'm and I and I. There makes no sense for me to work in a way that makes no sense anymore,
1: right? So you you are seeing an early signal. No, it's not even an early signal. You are seeing um, the shift, and yeah. it isn't just about where I work. It's what I work on. It's about understanding um, my career. And what a modern career looks like, and the trade offs I'm willing to make. Yeah. It's about understanding the whole human. Like, what is happening on the other side of that screen? You know, like, you know, our sensing mechanisms outside of the office are gonna have to be dip- different. It's empathy totally. for, um, you know, the fact that we've raised a generation of people who may never be able to buy houses. Yeah. Um, like. There's this whole newer, deeper human truth and an understanding that people aren't just motivated by what motivated you, right. which might be climbing a corporate ladder. They don't share your same value system about hierarchy, right? Understanding this whole deeper human truth, yeah. something that goes beyond um, a performance rating totally. or a sales quota attainment, but yeah. actually looks at the what did they work on yeah so, I mean
0: I think the word like holistic makes uh, yeah. you, you have to think about these people, everybody as as a, a whole person and you know the data that hit me as a company leader was we had our best year ever you know we're working more efficiently than ever before. How can I go backwards to, how can I proclaim that people have to go back to an office when, they're working really well, like they're happy. Like, why would I, why would I force that? It makes, it's insane, right? That's well, bad, that's bad use of like, I don't know. I don't know what it yeah, is, but I'm I think using it, the data,
1: right? It's not as simple as going back to the office. It's about going forward. I will tell you when I look at burnout and burnout is real, mm. it's the gamification of work because of uh, true full remote work is terrible. Mm. I watch this behavior where, um, you know your 30 minute segment on Zoom, uh, you know oh the time is up i got to go to the next meeting right i lost yeah. it with one of my employees the other day i'm like we're now getting to the good stuff you can be late for a meeting <laughs> or the notion that you know the it was the space in between meetings yeah the work actually got done and people made sense of the meetings true, because when true, you true. think about work like do you have a driveway
0: Uh, I live in a big building, so I guess guess we have a
1: driveway, yes. You know what a driveway driveway. looks like. Imagine those paving stones, right? Yeah. It's, you know, individual blocks of work. Yeah. You know, if you put the paving stones too close together and drive over them, they crumble. Right. It's all the sand in between that makes them move with ease and that, you know, makes it a smooth road to ride over. Yeah, I hear you. The sand in between.
0: Yeah, I hear you. And, and and I think that that's really, again, coming to your point, which is how do you actually read this information, the data? How do you see what is actually working, what is not, what is missing, what is not? I mean, Paul, you have a better sense of and anybody uh, who the winners and losers are going to be in this new space. Give me a sense of the successful companies of
1: 2022. Uh, so it remains to be seen, <laughs> um, but I don't actually think we'll know um, till I'll, I don't think we'll know how this sorts out until you know at the end of twenty twenty three. But okay, um, but I think there will be winners and losers. I think the winners will understand this deeper human truth. They will realize that the old telephone game, the telephone game of management, you know, where you cascade it down. And by the time the CEO's strategic vision gets all the way down to the person who actually makes choices about work and customer and and all that other stuff, Mm -hmm. CEOs are tired of that. They want to collapse the distance to impact, right? Yeah. So that you know, small decisions are better aligned with their strategy without all those you know interests of the middle that muck it up. Are yeah, and vice versa people wanna see how their individual work connects with, strat- connects with the strategy and actually impacts the company. Yeah. Like, you know, it isn't just about purpose in, am I doing good for the world? People wanna be able to connect to the purpose of the company. Maybe you make toilet paper rolls. And you know it's hard to come up with like a you know we're saving the world etc it doesn't matter Well I
0: think I think if you worked in making toilet paper rolls during the <laughs> it's pretty pandemic critical right now <laughs> you might be you might be a, yeah, a critical employee yes I need a better <laughs>
1: example But but this you know everybody wants to understand you know that they've made a contribution either to a larger purpose or to the company goals they want to be able to find their place and not be diminished right in, um, yeah. oh, you're just that.
0: Well, let me ask you, Paul, let me ask you a data question because one of the things I like to do with data is I I start out with lots of different data points and then I kind of boil it down, boil it down because I kind of find that central keystone of data, right? The keystone of data that is really the key piece of data. And, and you know, as we move to this world where we're working in hybrid and remote teams, Is there a specific kind of data that you would say is important for me to know, to assess kind of what's working, what's not working for those teams?
1: Great, great question. There are a couple of what I'll call new, higher fidelity, more interesting things around human measurement that I'm just absolutely fascinated with, right? Um, First of all, let's do the easy one. Sentiment uh, analysis, engagement Mm -hmm. data any company that's still doing once a year engagement data really needs to, to take a hard look at themselves. You wouldn't ask your customer or your spouse, how you're doing, you know, how's our relationship once a year. Um, <laughs> you, you, need to, you need to be really getting into the heart of issues, et cetera, um, multiple times a year, right? You know, um, as frequently as you think is, is. And the second is the type of things you're asking. Like, I will tell you belonging, what do you experience? understanding this, you know, what people experience at work and experience surveys are very important. And also understanding people's experience outside of work. Mm -hmm. What you'll notice is if something bad happens to somebody outside of work, they hold you accountable for it in work. If somebody, if they read an article about how managers mistreated somebody, they are actually looking for that to happen and, you know, and heightened awareness within your company. So it's important to understand that whole, you know, really get, to the next level of experience over here's the second one network analysis mm-hmm. uh, you know you've seen all those memes about you know um, uh, consultants digital strategy uh, the greatest thing to accelerate digital strategy was the pandemic it's true yeah. right look at us right now absolutely and I can turn around and I can map me connecting with you as yeah. well as every other zoom meeting I've had right I can take a look and understand who's stranded versus connected which is especially important for, um, for new employees. Are we actually onboarding them if you can't physically see them? Look at the strength of connections internally versus externally to start to understand sales behavior and, mm-hmm. um, and customer behavior. Being able to hold up a lens to everybody's network to say, do I have a diverse network or not? Right. Here's even, I'll take it a step further, right? People read your tweets and your LinkedIn stuff and everything you write and they do sentiment analysis around it without you even taking a test. Somebody can easily look at, you know, I've been looking at all kinds of cool technologies that will plug into Zoom, analyze who was dominant versus not in this meeting. Who oh. spoke the most? I can understand sentiment, tone, word count, naturally and be able to hold a mirror up to, you know, say, do, do we actually have an inclusive meeting or behavior or, you know, or, or help you understand your style? Did you really connect with that customer? There's all types of data, um, from both aggregate all the way down to individual, yeah. it's not just about, and it's not just about, and it's also understanding the relationship of the data change. It's not just for management, it's for employees. Me as an employee, if I'm going to give data, I got to get data back. Help me understand how I develop, what I'm good at or not. Help me understand my career patterns. There's a- I,
0: I love that. I, I tell you, I, you know what you just were talking about with evaluating sentiment and tone from a Zoom meeting is fascinating. That's a really, really interesting idea. You know, As you mentioned earlier, call centers. Call centers were probably <laughs> one of the earlier... Utilizers of, of machine learning in terms of trying to do natural language processing of consumer or customer feedback, right? And I love the idea of applying that to Zoom conversations when appropriate. Uh, that's a fascinating idea. So, Paul, I wanted to kind of shift gears because I saw that uh, you work also with something called the People Intelligence Alliance. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. I, I'd love to know more about what that is and how that fits in.
1: Yeah, um, like that's a, sort of a passion project. Um, I believe that. Look, I love underdogs too. So this is a big part of it, right? There's all kinds of cool technology out there. There are people doing. It's the age of the startup. It's the age of innovation. It's easy to bring things to market. And um, you know, I see a lot of old school thinking out there, especially in companies and their tech. Uh, platforms. They just want, Oh, just give me one vendor who gives you everything. And, you know, if, if uh, it doesn't even have to be that great Um, or just take reporting from, you know, this system, et cetera, that's like not understanding a whole person or your whole Mm. organization. Yeah. The beauty of, of seeing patterns and unlocking both individual and organizational performance comes from looking at all the data. So learning systems, right? What did I get trained on? Let's look at uh, maybe JIRA to see how many story points did an engineer uh, uh, complete or how many calls did a salesperson go on? Let's look at the performance management system. Let's look at the compensation system. Let's look at the the old school HRIS to see who got promoted and, and your career progression. Let's look at the recruiting system to see where you came from. It's... Taking this, this notion of being able to put people data at the center mm-hmm. of lots of other things and yeah. not rolling it off and the interoperability of data across multiple vendors, like let it free, man. These, you know, this the age of it's my it's my data structure, it's my proprietary information, and you know, I can't match it to anything else, that's gone. All right. Let it free. The, the the beauty exists and the knowledge exists in patterns not a system.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting because what you're saying kind of leads perfectly into my my next question, which is, you know, I'm getting a sense from you that the leader of HR and the, the leaders of of the future for HR are essentially data scientists, you know? And I'm curious kind of how you would describe that modern HR leader uh going forward.
1: So I don't know. I don't know if it's a data science, but here I guess here are the things that I gave a lot of advice to HR leaders. But you know what? Yeah. My advice was better after I had been a PL leader. Right? Ah. Um, I will tell you that I think that chief HR officers of the future, um, they really have to go back and go back to the basic science of industrial psychology even if you have to hire a couple of IOs for you um, (laughs) and and understand basic human, you know, the the basics of that Mm -hmm. and be able to tap into that. Yeah, you have to understand data to the extent that the CFO understands accounting. You know, the days of the controller becoming the CFO are, are gone. It's usually somebody who's in financial planning analysis or a banker, somebody who can tell stories and understands what the data should say and how to tell stories with it that's the that's the key much less the data science it's the data storytelling um, i think somebody who understands you know not just leadership development but frontline people, people manager development
0: mm-hmm.
1: right it's it's you know you can develop all the leaders you want but man if you don't have good frontline people managers and yeah. then finally somebody who's a little bit experience engineer Somebody who can say, what do I want my employees to, what is the, what is the, what do I want the path to feel like? Yeah. And that's a little bit culture. That's a little bit um, process engineering. It's a little bit being able to stick together the right tech, but it's also being a, you know, it's also editorial tone, content yeah. curation, experience curation. Um, so I don't know, Bant, what is that? No, I mean, it's
0: a lot of characteristics. I think that the things, some of those have been timeless, for sure. Others, I think, are new in the mix, right? And I think that engineering, the data elements are are really powerful new tool, new new skills, really, to to make sure that you feel comfortable with. And I think those are going to be key. And certainly they're gonna play a big role in 2022. So Paul, big last question. Tell me the big key things for 2022 that I should be keeping in mind uh, in terms of HR.
1: Oh man, 2022? Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you know, um, uh, number one, how will we land the, the post-pandemic work world? How is that gonna happen? Um, and no, that's number one. Number two, how will an inflationary economy change the way we deal with comp and people changing jobs? Those two things are colliding. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to, to see. Great point. Number, th- number three, we're gonna go back to the office. Yep. Um, but I hesitate to say, go back to, we need to go forward to a new office. We need to go forward into a new environment where people come together not because they have to, but because they want to. Where people understand that they come together with intent, not just out of obligation. And that will lead to purpose-driven work. Here's another one. All those people who graduated college or all those people who you hired, who never, you've never actually met. By the way, they're shorter or taller than they look on the Zoom screen. That's like one of the first things you learn. Um, I
0: mean, I, I can tell you, I, we had our holiday party and <laughs> I was, yeah, up in New York. Uh, you know, we've hired about 50 people this year, 50 new employees in, in the New York area. And I'm meeting these people who, it, the, the odd thing about the digital era is not that you don't know them. It's actually that you, you actually have intimate connections with them because you're in calls with them constantly. So these 50 yes. people... I, I felt like I'd known them for years, even though I'd only worked with them for months. And she- and when you met them physically, you certainly, certainly had a moment where you're like, oh, you know, she's much taller than I would have imagined or he's not as tall or so on and so forth. And I I had kind of a a split kind of perspective on that, which was maybe it's better to hire people by not meeting them. You know, because maybe that's more equitable, strangely enough. It, okay, so there, <laughs> there, there, is,
1: there is a certain sort of e- uh, equality that comes up, but you also saw the whole person.
0: Totally. Like,
1: look, you are seeing this much of my house and my world and my body. Yeah. And by the way, our sound is compressed. You don't hear the whole dynamic range of our speech. Right. And so how can we actually have a whole human truth if we don't both see, hear, and experience each other's presence? Yeah. And so we're going to have, you know, if we quickly recontracted with our employees around, you know, being totally, you know, dispersed and truly remote, there's a new recontracting as we come into, you know, office based hubs uh, that won't, you know, where our relationship coming to work will be will be different. Um, We've got to find new lunch places. We've got to find new norms of hugging and socialization. There's a lot of work to be done. And this is about culture. A lot of people did a lot of great work. um, And some of us survived on social capital that we built up before the pandemic. Yeah. We got to go replenish that, man. Yeah.
0: Paul, I've loved talking to you today about this. I mean, uh, anybody out there that wants to know about HR and uh, what's happening in the space, uh, definitely reach out to Paul Rubenstein. Paul, tell them a little bit about how they can reach you. Where, where can they find you?
1: Oh, uh, LinkedIn's easiest um, or anything on the Vizier page. Um, you know, Vizier's like the darling of the People Analytics uh. Uh, industry uh, and the you know the, we're the cool kids in human capital and in uh, analytics right now so it's actually a really cool feeling I've never been the cool kid in my life
0: <laughs> I love it well uh, Paul thank you so much for being on on Cage today we've been speaking to Paul Rubenstein he's the chief people officer at Vizier and we've been talking about a lot of topics one is really the use of data effectively to one make the most of talent in your organization Two, evolve that talent and evolve the organization in that process and three where things are going and how you can use that data to kind of maybe stay one one step ahead and and continue to build a a successful organization paul thank you so much for being on the show today and i look forward to having you back Thank you
1: for having me. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Cheers.